0: Hey, good morning. We're so glad that you're here today and uh, just wanted to begin. Any of you ever seen this toy before? OK. All right. Do uh, do any of you have this in your house right now? Uh, raise your hand. OK, a few of us. Well, this um, this is my daughter Jordan's. And she said, Dad, you can just borrow it today. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm borrowing it. And uh It's interesting. I wondered where I had seen this before. I grew up in Anderson, and this was our SAT test. Um, So I didn't quite do so well. Um, But Jordan, I remember when she was three years old, um, she loved this, and she would always get so frustrated, though. um, Because, you know, the whole concept is you have these different shapes, and you pick... A piece, and then you try to find what corresponding shape it is, and then you put it inside. Well, you know, she was three, and so she was struggling. I remember she'd like take this square peg and try to put it in this round hole, and you just hear this pounding all the time, you know, kind of as she was playing with this. And I'll never forget what time she was walking down the hall, and I go, "Hey sis, uh, where are you? Where are you going?" I'm getting a hammer, Dad. <laughs> And she came back, you know, and she was trying to slam it down. And uh, she just gets so frustrated. You know, the same thing as trying to get this this square peg uh, into this round hole. And you know, uh, this toy, it reminds me of millions and millions of people's lives. I mean, there are many people who walk through life and... They walk through life and they're trying so hard to get this square peg into this round holder. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Solomon. He was the richest and wisest man in the Bible. He was so wealthy, he kind of made uh, Bill Gates look like me. (laughs) Um, And... I mean, he just had every resource at his disposal. It was all right there. He could do anything. And he decided that he was going to go on a quest to try to find out if there was stuff on the earth that he could take to fill a hole in his own life. To fill a hole that was in his heart. In fact, he tried, as he put it this way, he said, I tried everything under the sun to see if it would fill the hole in my heart. He tried music, he tried sexual encounters, he married a thousand women, he tried power, he had the best food, the best wine, the best parties available to anyone. But at the end of it all, he said, you know what I discovered? He said, this is what I discovered. After I tried everything, this is what he said. It's all meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. It's like trying to cram this square peg into this round hole. It just doesn't quite fit. And what he discovered was that deep inside every single human being, There is a God-like shape. Look at what he wrote a little bit later on in Proverbs. Proverbs is uh, a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. It's just a book of a whole bunch of wise sayings. And this was what he learned at the end of his life. He, He learned this. He said, what a person desires is unfailing love. What a man desires, what a woman desires is unfailing failing love. Now, don't you sense that that is true in your own life? In the life of people around you? We think that maybe if we could just fill this hole in our heart with this thing called love, that everything else would be alright. I mean, our culture tells us This all the time with love stories. We find it in books. I mean, have you ever noticed the love story? You know, shelves are filled. They're like weighed down with all of these stories. We see it with movies. And we see it with love songs. Just think about all the love songs that have ever been written through the years. You know, love songs that kind of pledge devotion like this. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me away from you. I'm like, just get a restraining order, you know? And then one of my favorites is from uh, Trisha Yearwood. If you ever leave me, baby, you would take away everything good. In my life. I'm thinking get a life. You know. Like if he is everything in your life. Maybe the most appropriate thing you should do. The more accurate song you should sing. Is looking for love in all the wrong places. Maybe that's the one. We see it in movies too don't we. How many of you ever watched uh, the movie. that came out a few years ago. But it's like a classic movie. Um, Jerry Maguire. anybody anybody ever seen that one? Some guys are like not going to raise their hand. I'm too cool, man. I ain't doing that. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. Movie. Uh, and and if you haven't seen it, just turn it on TNT or TBS. They show them all the time, man, because everybody wants to watch that. Now in this movie, if you remember, there were like three lines that were most memorable. The first one was Show me the money. show me the money. Uh, the second one was, "You had me at You had me at a low." And then the last one that struck me the most is when Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zollweger, and they have this moment, and he looks at his wife and he says, "You what? Complete me." There was like a whole bunch of women's voices and one male. I don't know <laughs> what that was, but you know, like, "You complete me." Now let me tell you something. My wife, Jennifer, and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage this July. Thanks, cool. We made it that far. And we dated for a couple of years before that. And she's my soulmate. She's my best friend. She's the person that I like to spend time with more than any other person on planet Earth. I look forward each evening to pulling up to the drive and walking into the house and, and seeing her and the two of us greeting each other. But make no mistake about it, folks. She doesn't complete me. She doesn't. And I know this might shock some of you. But if you ask her, she would say, he doesn't complete me either. You know, I know it's a shock. It's like the, the woman who said... I thought I had married Mr. Wright. I just didn't know his first name was always. You know? You see, to expect another person to complete you, to expect a relationship to kind of fill something in your heart, is setting that relationship up to fail and to frustrate you. And the expectation is both unfair and it's unrealistic. Remember what Solomon said. He said, what a man, what a woman desires is an unfailing love. And to hope for and to expect imperfect people. You realize that's the only kind of people that God creates, right? You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. That if you expect someone like that to complete you, you're setting yourself up for a huge disappointment and setting that relationship up. For a long uphill struggle. Over the past few weeks, I've been looking at different articles and looking at this idea of identity theft. And you know, like you don't think about it too much until you read some stuff, and then all of a sudden, it kind of freaks you out a little bit. To be quite honest, uh, I learned that there are each year, each year, 43 million people have personal information compromised or their personal information is hacked into. I mean, it's scary. I mean, it's so easy. Articles talked about how they can take your credit information, how they can get your credit cards, how they can get your social security number. I was reading one article, and this is the story. It was a big, nasty surprise when Siobhan King-Lewis, a 23-year-old single mom from Atlanta... Checked her credit card report three years ago. She found that someone had opened up 25 credit card accounts, taken out loans, and even filed for a marriage license in her name. King Lewis says that she tracked down the culprit, a former Taco Bell co-worker who used to stay at her house and must have gone through her possessions. Her ex-colleague allegedly had run up $37,000 in charges, including a car and a plush $1,200 mattress. $1,200? Think about that. $1,200 mattress. Uh, We've we've had the same mattress for 20 years. Honestly, it kind of goes like this. It slopes down. Don't tell her she's not here today because Jordan had preschool day today, but I think I'm going to buy her a mattress. Okay, so don't don't tell her. And they're more than twelve hundred dollars. I'm going to cheap her one. And she says this is what she said after all this happened to her. It's really scary knowing that someone else is living my life. That's scary, isn't it? That somebody else is living your life. You know what, though? I see it all the time. I see people all the time who allow other people to live their lives. I watch high school students who will do about anything and turn into anybody. In order to be accepted by a certain group or a certain guy or a certain girl. That's why when people freak out about gangs, it it doesn't freak me out that there are kids wanting to be a part of something. Because they'll do anything to be accepted. Why do you think people readily give up their their body sexually speaking and they hook up? It's because they just want to be accepted. I mean, we will be whoever we need to be and live our lives through other people and let other people actually tell us how we are to live our own lives. Why is it that a guy can go to church on Sunday, but then when he goes to the workplace, his integrity goes off the wall and he compromises his values at work? Why do we care so much about what people think about us or what they say about us? Why do so many relationships find themselves being in codependent patterns? Because they just have this need to be needed. It's because we're looking, every single one of us, we're looking for significance in our lives. So we spend all of our time trying to cram that square peg into this round hole of relationships with imperfect people. And our identity in the process gets stolen. And we end up letting other people live our lives. Now, friends, if you do that long enough, somewhere along the line, you're going to get really, really hurt. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've been hurt by a lot of people in my life. Haven't you found that eventually, that if you hang around people long enough, people will hurt you? Even as healthy as you think a relationship can be, they do not possess an unfailing love love. People will betray you. People will break promises. People will reject you. People will wound you. People will disappoint you. And when you get stung by somebody, when you get hurt by somebody that you were expecting to complete you, all that acceptance, all that security, all that significance that you've been craving is gone. And your identity is gets stolen with it. And folks, when this happens, you turn into a totally different person. A totally different person. And the reason when this happens, you get robbed. And I think the biggest robber in relationships is one word. And the word is bitterness. You just become a bitter person. This is where you become angry. This is where you become selfish. This is where you become vengeful. This is where you become non-trusting. This is where you become hateful. This is where you become resentful. This is where you become bitter. And friends, when bitterness hacks into your life, it damages not only you, but the people around you. And it will mess you up. You know, Scripture actually tells us that there's a a very high cost associated to living a life of bitterness. And I'd just like to share with you a a few of these costs. The first cost or consequence of uh, of a bitterness in your life is this. Bitterness causes spiritual blindness. Bitterness causes you to be spiritually blind. The Bible says this, whoever hates a brother or sister is in darkness, lives in darkness, and does not know where to go. Because the darkness has made that person, what's it say? It's made them blind. You can't see correctly. And you can't love God the way that he wants you to love. If you have bitterness in your heart. Because when you hold on to a grudge, you become blind. You see, this is the thing, folks. You cannot love God and hold bitterness in your heart at the same time. Something will drop, and it's usually God. You spend your whole life then in the dark. Here's the second cost to. Holding on to bitterness. Bitterness blocks God from forgiving me. Bitterness blocks God from forgiving me. Folks, if you dwell on bitterness towards someone else and you refuse to let it go, it will block God from forgiving you. I didn't say it, Jesus did. He put it this way. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive whose sins? Your sins. Folks, if you don't forgive other people, you will never experience the fullness of God's forgiveness for your life. Third cause to carrying bitterness: bitterness changes my personality. You actually become a multiple personality. David, the greatest king in the Old Testament, he said this, When I was bitter, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a what? A beast before you. How many of you have ever seen your spouse or your friend or maybe one of your parents that when a person's name is mentioned or someone is kind of talked about that all of a sudden you see on their face bitterness? How many of you? Okay, like everyone's hand just raised up, you know. What about yourself? Have you ever been carrying bitterness for a long time and then one day you look in the mirror and this is what you look like? (laughs) Folks, when you become bitter, you look like a beast. You may not look like a beast to... Everyone else? (laughs) No, you do look like a beast to everyone else. Some of you thought you were getting off. No! They see it in your heart and they're like, Ah, they're bitter. Ugh! You just taste bad. And bitterness changes who you are and it leads you away from God and it leads you into all kinds of trouble. And to top it off, Folks, you're just not fun. People don't want to be around a bitter person. I don't want to be around a bitter person. Last thing. This is why I learned about bitterness. Bitterness destroys my health. It actually has a health component to it. Scripture states this, Some people die in the prime of life. With everything going for them. Others die bitter and never getting a taste of happiness. I was reading some medical studies this week. And they actually have shown that when people come in and they complain about a joint ache or a stomach ache. That one of the things that many physicians realize is that there's nothing physically wrong with them. They just have bitterness and anger inside them. And they're carrying it around and they come in and they want a diagnosis. And doctors, they wish they could just say, why don't you just deal with your bitterness? I read one study where they just gave placebo pills. It wasn't anything. It's like sugar candy. They gave it to people. I got a joint ache. I got a stomach ache. And all of a sudden they think in their head that it's gone but it doesn't last long because the bitterness hasn't left and they come right back in again. It can destroy your health. If you're not careful, folks, bitterness can actually kill you. I'll never forget being at the bedside of this old, bitter woman who was dying. And all of her kids were around the bed and they're crying. And I'm like, she's bitter. I remember we buried her. And I thought, you know, on her tombstone, honestly, like if you were honest about this woman, you would say she lived and died a bitter person. How many of you want that on your tombstone? He lived, she lived and died a bitter person with a bitter heart. So if bitterness can cause all of this damage, then how do we overcome it? How do we overcome bitterness that robs us of relationships? Well, the answer is very simple, but applying it is very, very difficult. And the answer to how you do this, how you overcome it, you're not going to like it, but here it is. You choose forgiveness. You choose forgiveness. At the heart of forgiveness is letting go of resentment. You forgive, folks, not for the other person. You forgive for yourself so that you heal. And you don't seek revenge. It's about giving up your right to get even. We all want to get even. But forgiveness says, I'll give up my right to get even. I'll trust that God will bring about His justice no matter what. Same thing I noticed in this celebration as I noticed the first one. When I get to this point of forgiveness, people start getting antsy. And you know why that is? Because some of you would tell me right now, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know how much they hurt me. They like really, really hurt me. My mom hurt me. My dad hurt me. My ex-spouse hurt me. And let me just say this, if you keep on hanging onto unforgiveness, they will keep hurting you again and again and again and again. I know people who for 20 years have held on to some hurt. And every time they'd raise that person's name, they would just get hurt again and again and again because they're reliving it, hanging on to bitterness toward that person. My girls right now, they're, they love this new movie that came out recently called Frozen. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but if you haven't, even if you're a guy, you should go see it. But in that uh, movie there is a song, it's kind of become the most popular song. It it won all kinds of awards. And it simply says, let it go. Let it go. That's what some of you need to do today. Let go of the anger. Let go of the bitterness and be set free. Now, some people will say, well, not only should you forgive But you also should forget. But I think that's kind of dumb. (laughs) Because the reality is, folks, that you may never forget. Because they hurt you. But you don't have to relive it. You don't have to bring it up all the time. You can let that person go. And you can let them off. You can let them go and you can let God choose to bring about his own justice. In fact, the Bible tells us that if you're growing closer to God, that it's actually not even a choice. It's really like a command to forgive. We don't have any option but to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Look at this next passage. It's in Colossians 3 verse 13. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must, what? Forgive others. Any of you have a neighbor that just, like, ignores you? Just just raise your hand. First celebration, no one raised their hand. I'm like... Is it like me or do all of you live in like these wonderful places? I just assume most of you were liars at that point. You know that you just you were just lying. But, uh, you know, there are neighbors that you'll try to wave at them like you're driving by and you wave at them and they're like, never wave at you. Or there's a neighbor that, you know, you try to go and you try to build up a conversation. I've done this before. I've gone up to a neighbor and I wasn't like, you know, all on them and freaking them out. I was just being cool, Chris, you know. I was like, hey, what's going on? And pretty soon they just turned their back and they walked away. (laughs) Or, you know, the neighbors, they have the uh, electric garage door and so the garage door goes up, they go in, and then it's like it's barricaded. Like you never see them. They're just there. Well, a few years ago, we had a neighbor like this. He never waved. I mean, I'd wave, you know, just never wave. One time I told Jen, I was like, wave at him. She's like, I'm not waving at him. I'm <laughs> like, just wave, it might help, you know? My wave's not having you wave. wife wave, didn't wave at him. Some of the neighbors actually came up to me and they were like, do you know this neighbor? And I'm like, well, I've known him for a little while. Well, does he ever wave at you? No, he, he doesn't wave at us. Like he just never waved. He stayed to himself. Now, his kids and his wife were, were very kind, and they would wave, they'd say hi, but not him. And I'll never forget one fall morning, I uh, got up early, and I was taking off, and I noticed he was outside. He was raking up his leaves, and he was putting them on this big tarp. And uh, I waved at him. (laughs) Yeah, no wave. And so I take off, and I come back, and I pulled up, and I was like, his yard was immaculate. Like, there was not a leaf to be found. It's like, man, he put a lot of time into this. And so I got into our house and went to our kitchen and I looked out the back window, and all of a sudden I looked over and there along the side of our fence that's connected to our neighbors. All of a sudden I saw these huge mounds of leaves on our side of the fence. And I'm like getting ticked. I'm like, what's up with this? And then all of a sudden it hit me. It's the neighbor. That neighbor. And I started getting bitter and mad and angry. In fact, this went on for days and weeks. In fact, I got some people in the church, other leaders. I got them bitter at my neighbor, man. I was like, can you?
1: I can't believe you. You know, he did this.
0: And finally... Somebody in the church said, Man, you just gotta confront him. I was like, Yeah. So I picked up my cell phone, you know, I found his number in our little uh, home association thing. Never called it before, I'm calling it. And all of a sudden I get this prompting that says, Chris, it's just leaves. It's just leaves. Instead of becoming bitter, Chris, forgive and build a relationship. And I was like, I don't think that's really from God. Let me. (laughs) So I did something bold. I went over to his house and I said, hey, I wondered if you would uh, knocked on the door, did the whole thing. He came to the door. I was surprised. And said, Hey, would you like to go to lunch? Sometimes, like, yeah. I said, Well, I'll buy. He's like, Oh, yeah, I'm coming. I never thought he'd go to lunch. Now, you know, sometimes stories end with this remarkable thing I brought him to Jesus, you know. It was the most awkward lunch I've ever had in my life. I sat there in Applebee's thinking, Please, God, you know what? Bring someone in here to interrupt. This lunch, you know, would there be an emergency? God, would someone die in the church right now? No, I'm not just joking. And see, some of you are like all holy, like, oh, I would never, you know. Yeah, right. But it was bad. We never became best buddies. In fact, eventually he moved away. But I saw... Him this week. And you know what, folks? I can honestly say. I, didn't, I waved again. He didn't wave back.
2: <laughs>
0: but I had no bitterness. In fact, on Friday, when I saw him, I said, God, you know... There's anything because you know what happens sometimes. You're you're not bitter, but then time elapses, then you see that person after you haven't seen him for a while, and it kind of raises something within you, and then all of a sudden you want to go right back to that point. He put those leaves over my fence. I just paused. I said, God, you know I can't do this on my own. I need your help, and I don't carry bitterness towards him. I prayed for him and his family. In fact, on Friday, I did this morning. Now, I don't have my neighbor. I'll tell you what else I don't have. I don't have big piles of leaves anymore either. You know, like it was good for him to go on wherever he had to go. Folks, when you make allowance for someone else's faults. It's very hard. Especially if they're mean or they're nasty or they hurt you in some way. And it's only by the grace of God. Not because I'm a pastor, not because of anything else. There's been many relationships where I have destroyed them by choosing to stay better. But this only happens when you have God's grace. It's only when you allow God to love you and experience His unfailing, unconditional love that then you can extend His mercy, His love to other people who have hurt you, who have wronged you. Remember what Solomon said. What a man, what a woman desires is an unfailing love. I looked at that little phrase, unfailing love, in the scripture this week, and one of the things that I found was that it's used over 40 times. This is what's interesting with it. It is never uh, connected to a human being. It's only connected to only the one who can give it. I thought we'd look at a couple of scriptures and maybe we'll read them out loud together. The first one's in Psalm 32. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read this out loud together. Unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. Psalm 36, verse 7, it says this. Let's read it out loud. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God! People find refuge in the shadow of your wing. Now, this next one, I'd just like you to listen to it. I'd like you to listen to Psalm 17, verse 7 and 8. Show me your unfailing love in wonderful ways. You saved with your strength those who seek refuge from their enemies. Guard me as the apple of your eye. Did you know that? Did you know that you were the apple of God's eye? We all long for a love like that, don't we? We all want to be the apple of somebody's eye. We all long for an unfailing love one that's constant, one that doesn't disappoint, one that's compassionate, one that's dependable, one that's unconditional, one that is perfect. And there is only one who can give that to you. A few years ago, a woman started attending our church and eventually uh, she got baptized. And in our baptism class, one of the things we do is we encourage people to share their stories. She wrote her story down. And this past week, I was looking through some of those stories, and hers came to my mind, and I thought, man, this would be such a great story. So I called her this week, and I said, could I have permission uh, to share that story? And uh, she said, yeah. So here's her story. After high school, I joined the military. While in the service, I partied every weekend. I drank to get drunk, and I slept with a lot of men. Finally, I settled down and I met my husband. The first couple of years were great, and then I found out that he cheated on me. I went from one day being happy, or so I thought, to having a life taken away from me in a moment. I was devastated. My world was destroyed, and I had become extremely depressed. For the first time in my life, I felt utterly alone and hopeless. I didn't know how to get through the day. I stayed in the marriage. We had a child. But I no longer felt like a complete person. After having our second child, I became addicted to pain meds to deal with the pain from my past. Eventually, my husband found out and he was going to leave me. At this point, I isolated myself from everyone, and I began to feel like it was a never-ending cycle of self-imposed confinement. I felt like I had no place to turn. But then, something happened. My brother invited me to this church called The Jar. And for the first time in my life, I learned about true forgiveness. I learned that God forgives and that I had to forgive myself and my husband and everyone else who had ever hurt me if I wanted to receive forgiveness for the pile of sins in my life. As I've done this, I've started to live a happier and healthier life for me and my family. I've learned not to hold on to guilt. I learned not to judge or to Hold grudges because it's way too exhausting. I've been clean for several years. And I feel free for the first time in my life. I still make mistakes. But I'm not depressed or bitter anymore. I've done a total 180. And I have a purpose now. I believe everyone has a purpose. And I look forward to sharing the power of forgiveness and love with everyone I meet. Thank you, JAR family, for investing in me. Folks, that's what unfailing love does. I think that's why Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest friends, he prayed one of the most fervent prayers for a church church in a city, in the town of Ephesus. It's a prayer that I would encourage you to cut out, to put it on your dashboard, to put it up on your mirror. And this is the prayer that He gives to us. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will give you mighty inner strength through His Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to grasp, to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is so great that you will never understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Friends, when you get consumed with bitterness, you will never fully understand the amount of love that God wants to pour into your life. You'll never really get to know God. You'll never really get to understand your true self. And we go through life looking for acceptance and security and significance all the time in all the wrong places. I think that's why Paul prayed this prayer that we just looked at. Because this type of love, folks, it's not found in people. People wreck relationships. God restores relationships. People break promises. God keeps all of His promises. People put conditions on their love. God's love is unconditional. So Paul says, I pray that you will be able to grasp how high, how wide, how deep, and how long the love of God is. And when you do this, folks, then you discover what your true identity is. Because you were created to be the treasured child of the Most High God. That's who you are. Let's look at this next verse in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I wonder if you see the mathematical equation in this verse. The equation goes like this. That if you believe and you accept, you become a child of God. That that could be your identity today. The Bible says that all you have to do is to believe on him as the son of God. That he was born that He died, that He was raised again, which we just celebrated last week, and that He's coming back again. And then you believe that He was the substitution for your sin. That He took your pile of sin and He said, put it on Me and we're set free. And we accept His grace freely in our lives. Friends, you can't get more accepted than that. You can't have more security than that. I don't care how many 401ks you have, or houses, or boats, or whatever. Nothing creates that security like Christ. And you can't have any more significance than that. I'd like us to read this next verse. I'd encourage you to memorize it. It's 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Now come up on the side screens. Let's read it out loud. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Friends, your true identity is that of a child of God. In your heart is a God-like shape... And this is the thing. Only Jesus can fill it. And some of you are going through life and you're trying to get the square peg into the round hole. And Jesus says, if you'll just turn to me, I'll take your square peg and I'll let you put it in a square hole. You know, I was thinking about it this week. Jesus completes me. My wife doesn't complete me. My kids don't complete me. My call is being a pastor. It doesn't complete me. Jesus completes me. And He can complete you too. He wants His unfailing love to be the essence of your identity. You know, there have been a lot of great love songs that have been written, but there's one that we sing here as a church, and it, re- it reflects God's love for us, and it's called How He Loves. And so I invite you to stand, and we're going to close uh, singing this.
3: He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the feet of his wind and mercy. All of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And realize just how beautiful you are through your affections are for me Oh, how He loves us so Oh, how He loves us How He loves us so
0: just say that Jesus has an unfailing love for you. He actually proved it. He went to the cross just for you that if you were the only person on planet Earth He would have died because He has an unfailing love for you. In fact, when He was on the cross, He said Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I'll take on all of the sins of the world. And today, you can believe and you can accept and you can become his child. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray for you. And I'd like to just kind of close this in prayer as well. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you so much for your amazing love. And the way that you speak into each one of us. And that you fill that hole that's in our heart. We want our identity to be in you. And if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life before, you can just kind of silently pray this prayer. Jesus Christ, I accept your grace. I accept your unfailing love. I accept the fact that you wash away all my sins. And you forgive me today. Help me to forgive others. I receive Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Jesus, thank You for each person who's in this gym today. We love You so much. And we look forward to how You're going to mold and shape our identity to look more like you in these next few weeks. So do it through your power. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, We have First Steps today. We'd love to meet you if this is your uh, first time. Uh, We'd like to meet you. uh, And if you've never been baptized, I don't know why you wouldn't hang around to kind of do that. Free childcare for you. And Lunch. So have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.
3: And if you'd like to help tear down, we would love for you to help tear down as well. You'd be my friend.